My friends, we have heard this gospel over and over again. It is a very common gospel, and if you can quote any scripture, it's likely you could quote part of this scripture. This scripture and Genesis 1, and it's not a mistake that they sound like each other. St. John was telling us about the recreation of the world using the same cadence as Genesis 1. These two are the two that most people know. But because it's so common for us, we forget that this is big news. The creator of the universe, the creator of the universe, the one who is eternal and perfect and infinite, the one for whom we all have a spark in the center of our heart, a desire that we can't always name, a longing that is hard to put our finger on, the one that all of us crave to know, the creator of the universe became a human being. St. John uses very elevated language to tell us this. In the beginning was the Word. Why would he call it the Word? For many years, biblical scholars claimed that this was inheriting from the Greek, that somehow John was influenced by Greek culture. Today, with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we know better that, in fact, this was a concept common to the Jews at Jesus' time as well. But in both the Greek and the Jewish context, the idea of a word is incredibly powerful. What does a word do? A word orders. When we speak to each other, we're conveying information that orders things. We use our words to request, to ask, to convey, to inform. A word is something that takes chaos and brings order to it. Only human beings have truly complex and advanced language, and it is because only human beings are truly rational. The word is a rational principle. The Greeks spoke a lot about the logos, the word, as the rational ordering principle. As the pagan Greeks were trying to find a way to understand this universe logically, and the most logical Greeks found their way to monotheism pretty quickly. If you read Aristotle and Plato, it's, it's surprising how monotheistic they are. They needed an ordering principle, and they called it the Word. And the Jews were the same. Even without realizing it was a Trinitarian message, the Word is what creates and orders the universe. There is chaos in Genesis 1, and God breathes his Word over the darkness, over the chaos. And out of it comes order. But when we speak a word, we don't lose anything of ourself. We convey part of ourselves. We give part of ourselves. But we don't lose anything of ourselves. This is the Father and the Son. The Son proceeds from the Father. The Son is the ordering principle of the Father. But the Son takes nothing away from the Father. They are both God. They are both the creator of the universe. There is only one God. There is only one creator. But the Father speaks the Son for all eternity. And so when St. John tells us that the Word was in the beginning, he's talking about the Son. 
He's trying to tell us what it's like to have one God with three persons, three entities in relationship with each other. The, the Word was from the beginning, and the Word was with God, which is to say there are three entities, three persons, but also the Word was God. We have this eternal, perfect, beautiful procession. The Word was with God and was God, and He was in the beginning with God. This uncreated Word, this uncreating ordering principle, this is how God created us, with a plan, with rationality, with purpose. Sending His Son out from Himself to bring order to our chaos. All things came to be through Him. All of us, again, have within ourselves an image of the Word because we were created through that Word. What came to be through Him was life. Life. The Word is the first procession of life. We receive Him to give us life. So St. John gives us this elevated language. If you look around, you'll see St. John is the eagle over there. And above him there, there's also an eagle, but you have to squint to see it. He gives us this elevated, soaring gospel. And then what does he tell us? He tells us that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Everything I said is the highest philosophical language you can find. It is the most esoteric, abstract way to try to imagine who God is and what he means when he creates us. And yet, that word, that eternally perfect creator, that word became flesh. What about this is eternal or perfect or abstract or esoteric? What about this is soaring? We know our flesh. We know that it is weak. We know that it is sinful and corrupted. We know that we have all of these high aspirations, all these things that we desire, that we aspire to, and yet, how weak we are to carry it out, how difficult it is to do even the things we know that we ought to do. The Word who created us became us. He became flesh. He took upon himself our weakness. He took upon himself our, our struggles, our failures. And he made his dwelling among us. The word here in Greek is fascinating. The word is tabernacle. That's the word for tent in Greek. He tabernacled among us. My friends, it is not an accident that we call that gold box in that room a tabernacle. It is the tent in which God dwells. He tabernacled among us in our flesh, pitched his tent in our midst and in our camp. He's never gone away. He became one of us and remained with us. He can be found in every Catholic church in the world, and most Orthodox churches as well. He is with us in the tabernacle. The Word who created us is part of our reality now. He desired so desperately to be with us that He took upon Himself something that is so commonplace, so beneath His dignity. But He loves us so incredibly and so extremely that He wouldn't think otherwise. That He chose to be in this world, in this flesh, 
He chose, after his ascension, to take upon himself the form of bread, just so he could be here whenever you wanted to visit, whenever you wanted to pray, whenever you come to Mass, so he can be on that altar with you. But there's a very tragic part of this gospel. We glance over it, but we need to confront it head on. He was in the world. Our Creator loved us so much that He became one of us, that He lived among us, took upon Himself our nature. He was in the world, and the world came to be through Him. Again, our Creator becomes a creature. But the world did not know Him. He came to what was His own, but His own people did not accept Him. I cannot think of anything more tragic in all of human literature than these three lines. Our God, the one who made us, the one who is the desire of every one of our hearts, loved us so much that he became one of us, and yet we did not know him. We did not recognize him. The desire that is the deepest part of ourselves. It was fulfilled, and we turned our back on him. He came into the world, but the world that he created did not know him. He came to what was his own, his family, the ones that he claimed as his own. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. And yet, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who have come to recognize him in our midst, who have come to realize the incredible gift given to all of humanity, St. John says, But to those who did accept him, he gave power to become children of God. Another phrase we use all the time that has become so common it's meaningless, children of God? God is not anything that we can contain or imagine. To become his children is to become so much beyond ourselves we can't even imagine. God has an infinite gap between him and us. He is so perfect and so infinite and so eternal, we can't even begin to imagine who he is. And yet, we are his children he claims us as his own to take into his family and to say, these, these are mine. I have adopted them with all of the rights that come to the air. I have adopted them. They are my children. God has claimed us. He has chosen us out of nothing, out of sin, out of corruption, to be his own family. To those who, are, who believe in his name, who were not born by natural generation, nor by human choice, nor by a man's decision, but of God. Each of you who have gone under the baptismal waters has been born again as a, chil as a child of God. He has recreated you anew. Whatever darkness he found when he came into this world, whatever darkness we find in ourselves, has been washed away in the waters of baptism. Because we have been born again. 
What an incredible gift. Something that none of us could have expected or demanded. And yet, because he loves us so desperately and so deeply, this is a gift he has given us freely. St. John says, From his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace. In the Greek here, this is the word for gift. It is something that is free, not earned, not merited, but given freely. You have all received grace in place of grace, or some translations, grace upon grace. Not just grace, but grace upon grace. The greatest grace you can ever imagine. The greatest gift you can ever be given. God loves you and wants to be with you. To the point that he came into obscurity. He came into corruption and into sin. Just so he could sit with you and be with you and love you and walk with you. If you ever find yourself in that darkness, know and believe that the light has come into it. If you ever think that you are alone, know and believe that God chose to tabernacle among you. He is with you. This is not idle sentimentality. This is not me giving you some sort of speech from the philosophers. The proof is in the manger. Jesus is a real man, a real person, born at a real time. I have been to the cave in which he was born. I have been to the hill on which he died. I can tell you with absolute certainty, this man lived among us, and he lives among us still. In the Eucharist, in the Word of God, every time we worship him, he is with you. There is no place you can go where you will be alone or apart from the love of God. And if you need proof, look to the manger.